Welcome back to 2K Away. Hello. Welcome back. It's 2K Away. I'm Peyton. This is my sister, Paige. Stop looking at me. And we used to be 2,000 miles away from one another, and now we're in the same location, but we're keeping the name because we like it. So last week, we did Cryptids of Australia, <gasps> which was fun. I don't know if you guys could tell, but we enjoyed our, or enjoyed ourselves. I've been fucking up my words since we started recording, so bear with me. This episode's going to go well. It is. I'm just going to talk slow. And maybe I that will help. Don't know if that's gonna be better. <laughs> people are gonna. We might lose people, people there. Are gonna listen to it and be like, "Am I listening to this on like half speed?" Because <laughs> on on Apple on Apple Podcasts, you can actually like like uh, decrease the speed, speed it or, up or in, slow increase it down. And I didn't know that. And, then, and I, it's it's always like by accident how you find out. Yeah, and because I started listening to a podcast. And they were talking super fast. And I asked Peyton, I'm like, is this messed up? Is my phone messed up? Like, why does it sound like this? She's like, oh, because you sped it up. And then when How you, did I do that? Then when you slow it down, everyone sounds drunk. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. So I'm just going to talk normally and we'll see how that goes. So... This case is not going to be fun. In fact, it's going to piss you off because it's been pissing me off. So real glad we got all the giggles out last week then, huh? Yeah, um, because you're not going to laugh at all. Oh, in fact. good. And, and there's nothing even like... I, li- I like to find the humor in everything, mm-hmm. but there's like no- nothing good about this. Oh, so good. this is about two teenage boys who were killed in the 80s in, like, Alexander, Arkansas. Mm. It's just outside of Little Rock, and it's kind of, like, in between Bryant and Little Rock. Okay. So these deaths were ruled as an accident at first, Mm. but then later a homicide by a grand jury. This case is still unsolved to this day. And there's been many theories brought to the table, but I think everyone who has ever taken a look at this agrees that there was a cover-up. So, I mean, it's unsolved and has conspiracy. So you'll, you'll like hearing the story, but it's gonna, it's gonna piss you off. Great. Yeah. A lot of great information that I found was from the book that I've been reading. It's called uh, The Boys on the Tracks, Death, Denial, and a Mother's Crusade to Bring Her Son's Killers to Justice by Mara Leverett, I, be- I believe is how you pronounce it. So this case Are is- they both her sons or just one of them? Just one of them. Okay. So this case, I've noticed, like, it hasn't even gotten a lot of, like, podcast coverage. Oh. Um, and it's it's one of those... It was on Unsolved Mysteries... Like back in in the original oh, Unsolved Mysteries, all right. I've been trying to find it, but I haven't been able to find like the full I episode. Know, some of the old ones are so hard to it 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 sucks. Get so, a hold of and watch, they which really is unfortunate. Are. Yeah, because I've been able to find like a few little things. Like I was able to find like snippets from um, 
uh, Oba Chandler, mm-hmm. like of the three women that were killed. Right. Um, I was able to find like a little snippets from that episode from Unsolved Mysteries because their case was on Unsolved Mysteries. But right. I mean, it's not a full episode, yeah. you know. And it really sucks because Unsolved Mysteries did like a really great job at like covering stuff and not making it like stupid dramatic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe by the end of this, I'll be able to find it. I don't know. But I am going to say right away, this is going to be a two-parter. Um, because the thing is, I I wanted to li- like leave out just enough information to where you can read this book on your own. And some of it is still going to be like surprising. I didn't want to take all the information from the book. I wanted to. Right. Really bad. But I, wa- I, I think I pulled just enough... To where you still get that, like, juiciness from the book. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted as much detail as I possibly could. Because I think it's kind of one of those, okay, is does this matter? Does this not matter? But I'm like, oh, but I want it. I want the information. So (laughs) I did my best. But please go look at that book. It's very good. So this whole case is about Don Henry and Kevin Ives. So a little bit of background on the two of them. Don was born Donald George Henry on September 13th, 1970. His father's name was Curtis Henry, and he had a stepmother named Marvell. I don't know biological mother's name. I don't know if she was just not in the picture or whatnot, but um, the book only discussed Marvell. Or maybe deceased. Possibly. I'm not sure. Um, He did well in school, and he wanted to be an electrician after he graduated. So because of that, his dad wanted to give him, like, a taste of what that work was like. Uh Uh-huh. So he started working with his dad, because his dad was an electrician. And um, the company that they worked for was the Little Rock Electric Company, and they had, like, matching camo hats that said like little rock electric company on them well and that's really awesome too because if you're if you're already in the business that your kid wants to be especially if it's a hands-on labor job like that it's so good to start teaching them some of the things that they're going to need to know so maybe the schooling and things like that'll be a little you know a little easier on them if they already know what's happening and like that's what's that's one of the best things about like a trade job like that yes. is that you can get like hands-on experience mm-hmm. and not have it be like illegal. Right. <laughs> like and then instead of like, I want to be a doctor. And then like your dad surgeon takes you to work one day. <laughs> okay, son, put the scalpel here. Right. Right. This is See how- this organ here? This yeah. one that I'm touching? Poke it. Go that's a liver. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what the liver so is. That's that's the really good thing about that is like the best thing about this kind of job is like experience. <laughs> right. So Okay, so it's good and all wholesome and, and wonderful. Good example there. <laughs> right. So Kevin was born, uh, Kevin Larry Ives, on April 28th, 1970, to Linda and Larry Ives. Um, he had an older sister, I think it's Alicia or Alicia, and I think Don also had a sister as well. Um, he worked as a sacker at the Bryant Safeway f- to pay for his car, a 1981 pale blue inside and out Camaro. Well, how cute is that? Don had a firebird. Oh my. <laughs> um, and a month before his death, uh, Kevin got a new job as a carpenter's the book said helper, but it was like like assistant, yeah. you know. And he was really enjoying it. Mm. He stood about five ten, he was muscular, and he had always played football. 
He loved to lift weights as well. Right. And his mother, Linda, said that her little nieces would hang on his arms and beg him to lift to them. Like, like show, show us your muscles, Kevin. <laughs> and he would like act annoyed. But then he would like smile real big and like pull up his sleeve and show them. Because <laughs> he's a teenage boy and right, they love course. showing off their muscles. And he's like, of course I have muscles. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a football player. Exactly. We so, all know him. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> So um, they had only been, like, close for about, like, six months, but they were best friends. The two boys? Yes. Because okay. I, I, I know, like, like when you're in school, sometimes you run in different circles, and then, like, maybe you end up, like, not being friends with this person anymore, and then you start hanging out with other people. And, oh, like, yeah. Absolutely. That's just a typical thing, and, and that's kind of, like, how they became friends. Like, Kevin had a different group of friends, but then there was a disagreement over a girl. Naturally, because it's high school. Of course. So then he <laughs> It became... happens to everybody. Exactly. So then he became really close friends with um, Don. And, like, this is a small area, too. Like, probably about, like, here. Probably smaller. Yeah. So they were... Typical, like, Midwestern Southern boys who love to work on their cars and they love to hunt. That actually came from the Unsolved Mysteries because I actually found, I didn't get to watch it, but I found a script from it. So, which was kind of nice. Oh, that's kind of, yeah. But I would still like to watch it. Well, yeah. (laughs) So It's better to watch. From Unsolved Mysteries, one of the things that it said was, Don was a natural comedian and Kevin was his best audience. Oh, and, which like made me want to cry immediately. That's so cute. So most weekends they would go out on double dates with their girlfriends. So this brings us to Saturday, August 22nd, 1987. So they're like 17 ish. Yeah. Like, uh, were they seat probably like juniors or seniors? September. Oh, yeah. No, so, so it would have been seniors then, right? I think juniors, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I'm really bad at judging those things but don was a month away from turning 17 and kevin was 17 oh, okay so, so 16 17 juniors so this particular saturday instead of like meeting up with girlfriends the boys met with a group of friends at the commuter parking lot which was a popular place for teens to hang out mm-hmm. you know like we had the napa parking lot <laughs> Where people would just loiter. (laughs) Well, I mean, we didn't have anything because I didn't live in the town that we went to school in. (laughs) Right. But, I mean, like... So we just went boonie cruising. (laughs) I know. Like, you had kids, like, in our town, we had, like, kids that hung out at Napa in, like, the CVS parking lot when Napa was like, please get out of our parking lot. (laughs) Right. Right. So, around midnight, the boys left to go back to Don's house because I think the plan was to spend the night at Don's house. So Kevin waited on the porch while Don went inside to talk to his father, Curtis Henry. So around, this was around like 1215. So in the book, it even said that Curtis had... Like noon or like midnight? Midnight. Okay. So in the book, it even said that Curtis, like his his curfew for Don was midnight. And he was like, eh, 1215, meh, it's meh, whatever. Right. One of those things. And Don told his dad... They went back to just stop and grab a few things. He told his dad where he was going and what their plans were. And his dad told him to be careful. And Don took one of his dad's spotlights and his twenty-two rifle. So they were going spotlighting. What does that mean? Uh, it's where you shine a light in a deer's eye and then shoot it, which is illegal. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So because um, I'm surprised that you didn't. 
you didn't know what that I was. I was like, know. they were going spotlighting. I never Bad knew boys. that. <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah, that's that's what that's what they were How doing. How the hell do you even do that? Well, it's, I guess you can do it from a distance ish. I, I guess I don't know, but it's it's like literally like you shine a light in an animal's eye. You, <laughs> you get I'm it. Picturing like they're walking right up to the deer, straight <laughs> in their face. No, <laughs> that's what I'm picturing. So I'm like, God, that's horrible. <laughs> no, no, like okay. I, I, I if don't you're getting know. A spotlight. It's a spotlight. Okay. Yeah. So it's that, not. It's not like a. a it's not like a handle flashlight. But where I they're was like, also like, how the hell? They where walk were you up on the night deer? of this? No, no. <laughs> I was also like, like how the hell are they able to walk up to a deer? That she in no. Face? No. 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 <laughs> this is some dim and deer, which makes it worse. <laughs> they were like point blank shooting the deer. Like, no, 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 no. That's what I was picturing. No. Okay. They were not doing that. I don't know why I would assume that. I don't know why either. Okay. That makes more sense. <laughs> so that was their plan. And they told, they told Don's dad this. And Curtis was like, fine. Like, <laughs> do what you got to do, I guess. <laughs> so um, it is illegal. Y- yeah. Well, but it's the 80s. It is. <laughs> It is. <laughs> I think that's my main go-to. Is like it was the eighties. Yeah. It was, yeah. Right. It was a time. So they went to their usual hunting grounds, which was the railroad that ran behind Don's house. Okay. And this was an area that he had hunted for years. Oh, I'm, he yeah, knew I'm sure. the area very well. Right. So now I do need to mention that this particular route across the state had been known to police as a route for like for years prior like for like bootleg whiskey and then like Uh, later drugs um but by the mid like 1980s their biggest problem was cocaine Uh, so yeah and it was coming into the area by all forms of transportation um just a few months earlier police in benton had received word from local informants that cocaine was being dropped from trains at locations along the tracks and there was even, like, possibility that they were, like, dropping it from planes. I don't know exactly how true that is. Damn. But <laughs> it was it was said that, like, there were some, like, particular planes in the area that would, like, some weird activity in Saline County in general. Because they, they would notice, like, a, a plane that would like drop really low and keep the engine on and then just e- eventually like move. So, okay, and since just this is weird. a Midwestern type of and small town Midwestern type of deal, was it like crop dusting planes that they were flying? I don't know. Or like, it didn't specify. I can't see like, I can't see like, planes. I can't see a commercial airline. Right. Like, I would, here, that would be terrifying. That would be terrifying. Holy crap, that would be terrifying. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was just weird things like that where like a plane would come down, the engine wouldn't shut off, but like the lights would, and then it would like go up, like, hmm, wonder what's happening. And there's, hmm. a, there was like an instant that the book mentioned that a plane was getting ready to like, drop down some so there was a cop car around and then it wasn't there long and it would like flew off i'm like strange okay whatever so this though where don went in to talk to his father about what they were doing that was the last time that the boys were seen alive no so 
It was around 4 a.m. on August 23rd, 1987. Well, so it was the two boys and, and just a couple other boys or? No, just the two of them. Oh, it was just the two of them. Okay. Just the two of them because they were hanging out Because they had with... been out with friends. Yes, they had okay. been out with friends and then they thought it was a good idea to go spotlighting poor deer <laughs> right. in the backyard. Wow. So it was around 4 a.m. on the 23rd. So we're technically into the next morning. A 75-car, 6,000-ton Union Pacific freight train was en route to Little Rock, Arkansas. So the train was over a mile long and going more than 50 miles per hour. Remember I said that they were hunting around the train tracks. Right. The train was going more than 50 miles per hour, and it was coming over Bryant Hill into Alexander. Yeah. So there were three men running the train. The engineer, Steve Schroyer... And I apologize if I ever pronounce a name wrong. I'm I think we've made that abundantly clear. Yeah, I I'm doing my best and I mean <laughs> it with all the respect in the world. So the engineer was Steve Schroyer, the brakeman was Danny uh Delamar, and the conductor was Jerry Tomlin. So the men spotted something laying across the track ahead. And they all realized at nearly the same time that it was two men lying motionless across the tracks and about 300 feet ahead. Oh, my gosh. They said the train was about like three to five seconds from impact and they did what they could. Oh, uh, when it comes to a train, regardless of how many cars you're pulling, it's near impossible. It doesn't stop immediately. No, no. And especially with that much inertia going forward, it's going to take a minute to actually come to a standstill. So they did what they could. They laid down the horn and they they pulled the emergency brake. I don't know how trains work. Neither of the boys moved a muscle. Mm. No stirring, no movement, even with the train horn blaring. Right. So according to Steve Schroyer... Uh, quote, I started laying down the diesel horn and I got no reaction, none at all, not so much as a flinch. And we just passed over them, unquote. And that, you know, and that's got to be so um, nerve wracking. Well, nerve wracking and just awful. I'm trying to think I'm there's a word I'm trying to think of and it's not coming to me, but that's got to be just awful for those conductors because there's oh, literally yeah. nothing you can do. No, there isn't. So like, you, you are, can do what you can, but you're you you're are going, going to, to run over somebody run them it, over. Yeah. Unlike in a vehicle or something like that where you can possibly swerve or do whatever, something along those lines. When it's something like this, there is literally nothing you can do, but you still have to live with that for the rest of your life. Right. So all three men said that they saw the boys, a gun laid next to them, Uh and they were covered with a green tarp, like from their waist to their knees. So one of the men said it looked like a boat cover. Okay. So all three of the men, they all have, it's not, they all have the same account, but it's like little details that one noticed over the other. Sure. Like one of them was like, it looks like a boat cover. And another one was like, I got to look at more of the gun. And then one of them was like, one of the boys didn't have a shirt on. One was blonde. One was brunette. Mm-hmm. Like that sort of thing. But Which... all three of them were like, there was a green tarp, there's a gun, and there's two boys. Right. Which. Pretty unanimous. That's almost more believable 
when the big things they each remember and, and there was just on. little bitty things because that's exactly. such a an awful predicament that they're in. Right. And so emotional in the moment that it's going to be hard for you to remember every single thing. It you know? is. And not to mention, like, I witnessed testimonies. Especially that short amount of time. Exactly. Like, I witnessed testimonies are so, like, here and there. But honestly, like, for all three of the men to be like, this is what we saw. And then just little details. Because memory is a tricky thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like. And your mind can play. It really So can. many tricks on you. But for all three of them to be like, no, this is what we saw. This is what it was. And honestly, I believe it's it's more believable for them to be like, well, I noticed that the rifle was positioned this way, but another man to focus on something else. Right. That's that's 100 percent believable. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's more believable for them to say things like that because of in the moment, everybody's trying to do what they can to stop this train. And it's it's while trying to look at. What's happening. Exactly. And you, you got to imagine if there are three to five seconds from impact. So you have, let's, let's say five seconds. You have five seconds before you hit said object, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you have that five seconds of just pure panic. And then once it happens, you just have dread yeah. until that train stops. That your stomach just fell out of your asshole type of right. feeling because you know what just happened. So, okay, so they say there was a green tarp on both of them. Were they both laying the same way? Yes, so they were They were laid across the tracks. There was a green tarp covering them, and, like, it had come up like the wind had just, like... Right. Blown it right. to the side, mm-hmm. and then their rifle was laying next to them. Don's okay. rifle. So, like, were their, their torsos just over it, or, like, the whole body over whole body it? Whole body. Okay. Over it. So sideways, I'm assuming. Yeah. Unfortunately. So when a train hits an object on the track, one of two things usually happens. So either so the it's called a cow catcher at the front of the train, like right at the engine, the little like scoop. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how else to describe it. The (laughs) scoop, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So either the cow catcher will like pretty violently like toss the object aside. Right. Or it'll get sucked up under the engines and, like, tumble a while and then eventually get tossed out, like, nearly the same speed as the train. Right. So, unfortunately, they were too close and the train carried on for another half mile. So, the boys' bodies were horribly mangled. Gosh, that's so upsetting. It's, It's awful. So, the train eventually stops and these men are frantic. So Steve stayed inside by the radio to keep in touch with railroad officials. Mm -hmm. Danny and Jerry grabbed their flashlights to locate the bodies Mm -hmm. or to see what kind of damage has been done. Right. So about 35 cars back, they discovered the first pieces of the bodies, which were three dismembered toes. Oh, no. Over the next hour, they kept finding pieces of the boys' bodies scattered along a quarter mile of track can't even imagine these poor men and the biggest body part they found was the chest and head of the second boy and apparently the first boy was considerably more mangled but that was the one that was closer to the train right so as they were walking along the tracks the men noticed something awful 
So these, all three of these men, they were experienced hunters, so they knew how fresh blood looked. Uh-huh. And the blood along the tracks was not like that. It was probably more like darker red and brown and, and more congealed. coagulated. Uh-huh. Oh, so no. a quote from Jerry Tomlin, quote, there was very little blood, even with all those wounds, with everything cut up. We had reached the bodies within 10 minutes after impact. You would think that the heart had been pumping when we ran over the boys. Then the blood would have naturally flowed out. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't flowing. There was hardly any blood spilled at all. And the color of it bothered me, too. It was night, and we couldn't tell for sure, but the blood we saw was not red. Not as red as you would think blood would be on a fresh kill like that. It was dark, more of a purplish color. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yep. Well, so this sounds terrible, but you would almost think that the guys would feel a little bit more relieved if they knew that they weren't, if that if they knew they were already deceased before they hit them. So they, they wouldn't think that they actually killed them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then that just adds to the weirdness and I, the horribleness. I know. I know. That's that's what I'm saying. Those those poor men happen to find that. Well, and have not only that, that is like, yeah, that would be like a very tragic accident to just hit someone on the tracks. Mm -hmm. But then there's the added like, these boys were already dead. Yeah. What? Right. And then you feel then there's there's that like mountain of emotions uh -huh. to climb as well. And that's a whole different it, it, way different. to grieve or feel or yeah. yeah so by 4 40 a.m uh 13 minutes after the cr crew reported the collision deputy chuck talent and lieutenant ray richmond arrived on scene and then more followed including an ambulance mm -hmm. so chuck talent got to work basically recreating the scene he was like diagramming it doing mm -hmm. all the shit that you need to do i don't mm -hmm. know what all goes involved involved with it and he was mapping out the locations of body parts and other pieces of evidence as they were discovered so are they i wonder if they're able to know exactly when they hit the brakes like when they tried to stop initially were they able to do that you know it's very possible but this whole thing is totally fucked oh no just wait so great. Chuck Talent made a huge mistake when reconstructing the scene. He chose as his reference point the corner of one of the train cars and mapped everything in relation to that. Hours later, when the train was allowed to move forward after most of the evidence had been bagged and removed, mm -hmm. that reference point was lost. Oh, shit. So... I'm not an investigator. I don't know what goes, what is, is involved with recreating a crime scene or mapping out a crime scene. I, I don't know anything about that. But I, I think starting from some random train car seems a little stupid. Yeah. Instead of like maybe trying to find like how far back they started pressing on the brakes or something yeah, and like getting with the three conductors saying i don't know whereabouts you yeah. think that this started where did okay yeah and you know they're engineers so uh -huh. they they have a little bit of brains uh -huh. so 
again, I'm not an investigator, so I, I didn't know like how detrimental that was to the investigation, but I did find it a little strange that they would, that, that reference point just seems random to me. So that being said, the diagram showing where every piece of evidence was, was of no use to them because of this. So another huge mistake that is even more obvious than the recreation of the scene, um, they let the train, like, pass through the crime scene. Well, and I wonder at what point, though. You know what I mean? Because I, if I don't they were know. done, if they were done mapping all the shit, connect, collecting all the evidence and things like that, then, okay, okay, we're done. Go ahead and I'm go. Not, well, I'm not sure, but from the way that the book, I'm not quite sure in what stage that they let the train pass through the crime scene. I'm not sure. But I doubt that it was when they were done, just because of how this is going to play out. Okay. It wouldn't shock me if it was the beginning of the investigation, quite frankly. So, to the crewman's horror, the two officers that showed up first were instantly treating the deaths as an accident, despite the men telling them of the circumstances just before impact. Okay. So, you know, two men laying side by side, not moving at all, even with, with the train horn blaring. Right. With a tarp over them. Yes. So they're like, we know it's not an accident, but the crew were like, maybe they'll right. handle it. I don't know. I don't know. So they were, they understood that accidents do happen because... At least in the, in the last decade in this area, there were at least two suicide by trains in Saline County. Oh, wow. Which is, wow. Uh, it, what a way. Yeah. But so, so the men were kind of like, okay, we'll let you do, this is weird, but uh-huh. we'll let you continue. Um, so there was a trooper, Wayne Lanehart of the Arkansas State Police who had investigated a report of two shots having been fired in the area hours earlier. And he also showed up to the scene. Um, He heard the testimonies from the crewmen and also found it really suspicious that the officers were like so quick to dismiss this as just a a freak accident. Mm -hmm. Because um, according to the training that he received as like a a state trooper, Mm -hmm. any unnatural death should be investigated first as a possible homicide so that evidence can be preserved and uh, the most serious possibilities eliminated before less serious ones are considered. Right. I mean, that's the only... That that seems just common sense to me. Right? Especially at that point in time, because you guys have already had, I mean, not maybe not in the area, but look at all this, the big ones, the big serial killers and shit. They started in the 60s and 70s and they were starting to catch them in the 80s and shit. So, like, why wouldn't you look at every death as a homicide first if it's something brutal? Especially like this. Yes. Like, in the state that those bodies were in... I wouldn't want to assume anything. No. Because of the evidence in front of me. Yes. You know? So, that being said, though, 
not all police get this kind of training, and especially not small rural sheriff's offices. Uh, yeah. But it was still very strange with the circumstances, and they that they would just immediately go to accident. Yeah. So one of the EMTs, Billy Heath, later talked to a state police detective saying that the bodies looked more like mannequins because there was very little blood at the scene. And the blood at the impact site was very dark, too dark to be fresh blood. Mm-hmm. The other EMT, Shirley Raper, noted the color of the blood, but also the color of the body parts, saying that they had a very pale color I, to them. I was getting ready to ask. Like someone who had been dead for some time. Uh-huh. So the two of them attached what they title a... um note of interest to their report on the incident because after every report um every paramedic has to fill out a report of like the happenings of every call that's standard for all paramedics well all first first responders responders, in general really so the note read quote blood from the bodies and on the body parts we observed was a dark color in nature due to our training this would indicate a lack of oxygen present in the blood and could pose a question as to how long the victims had been dead, unquote. I'm so glad they put that in there. You're still going to be pissed. Oh, son of a bitch. So another thing that really didn't sit well with the train crew was the officer's dismissal of evidence. Uh, so all three men saw a green tarp and a rifle. Right. They even ended up finding the tarp and the gun on their walk down the train after the accident. Uh Uh-huh. But the officers, like, wasn't believing them? One of the men said that he showed one of the officers this tarp, but this officer later denied that ever happened. And no green tarp was recovered as evidence. Are you shitting me? Nope. They kept telling the men that it was an optical illusion. Same with the rifle. Excuse me? I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Just wait. So they, as they, as the men were like telling him like, oh, there's this rifle. They kept saying, so where is this alleged rifle? Like just immediately dismissing these men. Um, the rifle they did eventually find in pieces, and it was yeah, collected it was hit by a train. Uh huh. And it was collected with evidence along with a long-handled flashlight. So, but the crewmen were like getting pissed at this because they're like, I would be too. Yeah, because I mean, not not to mention like they just experienced something very traumatic, and yes. these men were not only these officers were not only like insulting their intelligence, but like insulting like their professionalism and everything. Yeah. Like you think all three of us, it, it, how could three men standing in different positions in this train car? See the same quote optical illusion. How? Wow. Uh huh. So everyone else at the scene thought that this whole thing was really weird and fishy, but yeah. Talent and Richmond continued to treat it as an accident or double hom- or you know double suicide. I about <sighs> said homicide. No. 
So the scene was investigated like a traffic accident and the bodies were sent to a funeral home first. Oh my gosh. Since traffic accidents do not require an autopsy in Arkansas, or at least at this point. But within a couple hours, Talent changed his mind and redirected them to the state crime lab where they would get autopsies. But they've already transported it to one place and now it's transported to a it second was place. Before like it had reached the funeral home. Okay. As far as I understand, he redirected them. Okay. So they were on the scene for four hours and a crowd did form. Well, and okay. I personally think four hours seems really short. Yeah. To a train? Be, uh, train hitting two people? Yeah, that seems short. Mm-hmm. So the Saline County Sheriff, James Steed, um, who was known to be like a hands-on, very involved kind of sheriff, was nowhere to be seen. And people okay. thought his absence was very strange. Okay. I would have too. Okay. Now, the sheriff does not have to be at every crime scene. No, but, but if this, this is a is, big one. Well, if the, with this saying that, yes, he's a very active sheriff and it's a small community, not very, very many big things happen and this thing happens for him not to be there. Okay. Might, la- might Again, just raise one of your eyebrows. A, it's not exactly like a uh, like a you know, point a finger or anything but it's, it's more like a, this is weird, why weren't you here? Mm-hmm. If you weren't, like, in another state on vacation or something. So that Sunday morning, Linda Ives was home alone. Her kids and her husband were gone. Kevin, having spent the night at Dawn's house, uh, their daughter had gone back to Fayetteville to college. Um, She was in her sophomore year. Her husband, Larry, was an engineer for Union Pacific. Oh, no. And he wasn't supposed to be back until Monday. She got a call from Don's father, Curtis, asking if the boys were with her. Mm. He had woken up. The boys were nowhere to be found. Um, Don's Firebird and Kevin's Camaro were still in the driveway, so he knew something was wrong. Oh, no. Because, you know, a teenage boy without his vehicle is Oh, well, especially strange. a Camaro on a Firebird. Exactly. <laughs> so he went out in his own truck and, like, searched around town for them. Because, yeah. I mean, that's what you did. It's the 80s. Right. Um, and he went back home and he called Linda around 10 a.m. Oh, no. The book goes farther into it from Linda's perspective. Mm-hmm. It's mainly from Linda's perspective. So you get a little bit more on the Kevin side versus the Don side. Mm-hmm. But around noon, Curtis called Linda a second time and told her that the boys had been killed. Oh, At this gosh. point, he didn't even know what actually had happened there was like crazy rumors flying around and one of them was that the boys were shot and then ran over by a train. So, huh. It, it was, it's small town. Right. Word travels fast. Especially if there was a crowd. Right. So that was, that was what he called her with. He's like, Linda, the boys were shot and ran over. And she's like, what? Excuse me? What, what, what? I, I mean, how, how are you supposed to take that? Right. So, um... They all meet at Curtis's house, and that's where the police basically, like, uh, the the parents all told them, like, what were they wearing, that sort of thing. And they're like, okay, that sounds like it. And that's where they basically were like, 
we think that it's your kids that were hit by this train. And um, oh my gosh, one of the things that they had mentioned was that they found that camo hat that Don would wear to work. Oh man, that's a Little Rock Electric Company. Oh, no. They were eventually identified as 16-year-old Don Henry and 17-year-old Kevin Ives from Dental Records. Oh, wow. So this is a little something. It doesn't fit anywhere in my notes, but I have to mention it. So Larry Ives, Kevin's father, worked Mm -hmm. for Union Pacific, like I just said. Mm -hmm. And that train route is the one that he used to take. Oh, my gosh. Only two months prior to the boy's death, Larry switched to a different route, and that's when Steve Schroyer was the man who replaced Larry on that particular route. Holy shit, I just got chills. Are you going to cry? Oh, my gosh, I want to. Could Don't yet. Oh, wow. We're going to get even more emotional. Seriously, I don't Mm -hmm. get chills like this often for things. I chills yeah holy shit yeah two months prior oh my gosh so after the accident made it to the tv and the papers people in their morbid curiosity went to the train tracks where it happened right one of them found a severed foot lying in the gravel Four hours is not enough uh-uh. on a train accident crime scene. Nope. Uh, nope. It's not. So no one actually called them, like from the medical examiner's office or the deputies or anything. No one actually called the families to say, like, hey, they were identified as your kids. It was the Ives that got a call from a deputy simply saying... The crime lab needs to know where you want the body sent. Okay. And so Linda Linda was like, the body? And he's like, yeah, the body. Which funeral home do you want? Okay. That's how they knew that their children died. Okay. Okay. So. There is so much wrong there. Oh, there's everything wrong with this case. Everything. So they had Kevin's funeral the next day. Dawn's on Wednesday. They played, um, again, this is mainly from Linda's like perspective, the book right. was. I guess a friend of Kevin's like told Linda that Stairway to Heaven was his favorite song. Oh. And Linda had never heard it, so she was like, she was like, that's a that sounds like a nice song. Oh. So <laughs> they had it played at his funeral, and I guess there was because I mean like so I work at a funeral home. I've had I've listened to some really weird songs played at funerals right. that you wouldn't think would be appropriate for a funeral, but it depends but you know on the what? person. It totally does. Exactly. Because I, I mean, we've had at one of our family members a Pink Floyd song played at one of them. Well, and we also and had we Thunderstruck an ACDC by ACDC song played, played at another one. Exactly. So I mean, it I it depends on the person. It depends on the person. And absolutely, I I think all music is appropriate. Absolutely. So. It may seem a little strange, but I guess people were kind of like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> Stairway to Heaven? But, um... Come on, if that was his favorite song, though, that's... Right. And another thing that they had that was mentioned in the book is that um, Kevin's casket was cherry red and a light blue interior like his Camaro. Like his Camaro. Oh. So I was like, oh, okay. 
just now I need to go cry. Just take my heart. Right. And because Larry worked for Union Pacific, the three crewmen, like they technically all work together. Right. They attended Kevin's funeral. And again, those poor men. I would feel so bad for them. I obviously it is obvious that those I feel so bad for those boys. Well, they the, were taken the from the at the beginning of their lives and those poor parents that had to lose their child in that way and all the shit that got, you know, with the investigation. However, those poor men. I know and and it it, it sucks because it, it was like there's literally nothing they could have done absolutely they did everything that they were supposed to sometimes things happen Mm -hmm. and there's no out of their control completely exactly the it's just sucks because first of all that's overly traumatizing for them now that i remembered the word that i was trying to think of um oh so traumatizing Plus, you know one of the kids' fathers. Yeah. You work with him. Like, right. How? That's awful for those poor right. guys. So, to add insult to injury, there was one news station in particular, a KRK TV Channel 4, that kept rerunning segments of film that one of their cameramen had shot, like, early enough in the morning on scene that pieces of the boys' bodies... We're still all on the tracks. Oh, so it showed. That shit pisses me off. It showed deputies putting full, like bags full of like body pieces into the back of, of some truck. Right. And, but that's not even the worst part about it. The worst part about it was that in one clip, it showed a sheriff's deputy who was standing in the back of the truck accidentally, but still. Stepping on one of the body bags as he was loading another bag. Oh. And the family saw this. Yeah. Just keep that in mind. And that's not something that they need to see. No. Let's be real. Nobody needs to see that. That's why these news places and shit like that piss me off. And actually, there's something. I was just reading something today on Facebook and shit about uh, Kobe Bryant's um, helicopter crash. Mm. How his crash was publicized so quickly because there were news helicopters and shit there at the crash showing what happened. Like the absolute carnage. All of that. Mm -hmm. And like, that's how people could have found out about that. Like, that's awful. Why in the hell would you do that? Yeah. Well, also, that's one of the things I hate about Facebook in fucking particular is that um, we've seen it in our life Oh, where yeah. where people will be like, oh, prayers for this family. Uh-huh. Before the family knows that, like, this person's been in an accident uh-huh. or something. Yeah. Where I'm like, shut the fuck up until a family member posts about something. Shut up. Right. Unless you know them personally, shut up. Yeah. Just shut up. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm not. But I'm not. <laughs> so... <laughs> No, absolutely. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Right. So nonetheless, uh, this story was covered statewide, and the theories offered by police all just fell short. So the police were like, they were like officially saying it was an accident, but unofficially kind of telling the families that suicide was more likely. Ugh. Both sets of parents were pissed. Oh, uh, yeah. As you can imagine. Um, The parents and everyone who knew the boys said that there was no way that it was suicide. They were like, 
these boys they were happy go lucky mm-hmm. they were they were nice boys they they there's no way like no. all all of their friends even i understand the faces of depression are very different and varied and it seems like every time you get this um reaction from a family member when it was truly suicide you get that a lot there's no way they they never showed any signs they were happy there's how could this no that's absolutely not however however in this case there's no way this does not seem likely no and even like some of the boys like closest friends were like there's no way like how what no and it fucking wasn't um that's from me, not from my notes. <laughs> so from the moment the families like heard the news, they knew this wasn't some crazy accident or double suicide. Something was wrong and the police didn't seem to care or want to investigate this as something other than an accident or a suicide. So there was too much weirdness about all of this. So Curtis Henry actually had a friend of his who was like an avid hunter. Mm-hmm walk the tracks to see if there was like a lot of blood Mm -hmm. and which is a lot to ask of a friend it is however but i think circumstances yeah so this this friend of his he went out and he looked i'll be honest i would do it if there was something like this i I would do it for a hundred percent absolutely oh yeah so they wouldn't have to right you know exactly like because that's your child go to someone trust someone you trust yeah so this guy went out there, there wasn't a lot of blood. So another thing that didn't sit right with Curtis, besides the fact that he knew his son wouldn't have committed suicide, mm-hmm. Don's gun was laying on the ground, and that would have never happened. Don had six guns and was very religious about them, and he, like, cleaned them very often. Yeah. And there was absolutely no way Don would have just carelessly laid it on gravel mm-hmm. in between the tracks. That's not good for the gun. No, it's not. And any, you know, true avid hunter and someone who uses guns often like that knows that. Right. You know? And that's that's another thing that bothered Curtis. He's like, there's no way that Don would have just laid his gun on the ground. Yeah. No way. That and another thing that bothered Kevin's family, Kevin was the kid of an engineer who would have been, like, drilled in his head since child, like, birth basically <laughs> since child's birth <laughs> basically that trains are dangerous and to be careful around train tracks because yes, i'm sure this wasn't just a recent job of his dad's no <laughs> so yeah absolutely well in and regardless of whether his dad is an engineer or not that's something that's that you're something told you from a young age in trains are country. dangerous when exactly. you are in a small community in a small town that is drilled in your head. Right. How many times have we been told that when we were out boonie cruising, you know, over right. the, all the train tracks? Mm-hmm. That's just something you you know. Right. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. So. And another thing, like, another th- reason to read this book is that, like, because this is a small community, everything is so much more, like intertwined mm-hmm. than you would think it is because it's like okay well this person knew of, of this person and like this person heard this kind of rumor and it's very very much more like close knit yeah then you don't really understand that unless you're from like a small town like right. that yeah 
like unless you're from a small town and, like this and i mean really, small town as an under ten thousand people I love it when people try to pull that. Like, I'm, from a, I, I'm town. from a small town. We have about 25,000 people. Oh, and I'm going to call Nick that was on our podcast. I'm going to call him out because he was like, I'm from a small town in South Carolina. And he said 30,000. And I was like, <laughs> fuck you, man. Bitch, please. <laughs> you don't know the definition of I, a small town. I pulled out my small town card and was like, motherfucker. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, I love him. But he had no idea. He was like, what? I was like, I know. I am from a small town. You yeah. stupid idiot. I love him. But he's a stupid but idiot. he's a stupid idiot. It's all right. He's not going to listen to this anyway. <laughs> he won't. He's a chicken shit. So that's one thing that I have to mention is like the book goes a lot more into detail about like certain little things that I didn't want to add in because I want you to read the book. Yeah. Because it's really good. It's going to rip out your heart but it is really good so the state medical examiner was a doctor i believe it's Fami malik who did the autopsies you're going to hate him oh son of a because bitch. i do so there was 1.9 grams of marijuana in kevin's pant pocket that they found Okay. And when retracing their steps the night before, found that the boys had bought like $10 worth of weed from somebody. Yeah, right. So they pretty much just like bought a dime bag. Right. So depending on your dealer is like how much weed you're going to get for $10, sure. basically. I think that's with every drug. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, until it was legalized, I never bought any drugs illegally. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So I don't, I couldn't really give you like a, from my experience, right. you know? So I couldn't tell you, man, but like, it's not a ton of marijuana. It's not. Oh yeah. And let's no. face it. I mean, if it was illegal in the eighties, it's probably like nasty ass skunk weed. Oh yeah. Well, and especially first of all, illegal. Second of all, it's the eighties. Yeah. They haven't like come up with some they of the haven't, fun things. They haven't perfected the growth. <laughs> right. Like they have yeah, now. No. So it's probably like shitty weed uh-huh. that barely gets you high. So. But makes you stink. It really does. <laughs> They're like, who the hell hit a skunk? That sort of thing. Right. So just starting off the autopsies, THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana, was found in the boy system. Okay. All right. Then the families had to listen to assholes being all like, they use drugs. Right. Damn it. And then horrible rumors start about their kids because they found a little bit of weed in Kevin's pocket. A little bit of weed in his pocket. Right. Let me rephrase that. Weed. (laughs) Marijuana. Right. Not cocaine. Nope. Not heroin. You know what? Pause for a second because you're going to get even more pissed as I keep going. Just just hold up. Just hold out. For weed. A- <laughs> just weed. It is weed. Just hold out. Hot second. I can't. But what was worse was that the police were kind of taking this as like an explanation for their deaths. Son of a bitch. The assumption being that they smoked too much weed. And fell asleep on the tracks and were run over by a train. I don't care how that was asleep. The, that you was are. the scenario that was laid out to the families. And before they even like got 
confirmation from the medical examiner like these were like the rumors that were circulating around they were like they were so high that they committed suicide no no so just wait so about a no. week after the funerals linda and larry and curtis and marvell drove the however many miles to little rock arkansas to the arkansas state police so they were met by deputy talent a deputy Elmendorf, I believe that's how you pronounce it, and a state police investigator, a Lieutenant Frank Mitchell. He was very interested in the case, and the parents were happy about that because they had been begging the Saline County Sheriff's Office to request assistance from the state police, but it was never done. Well, yeah. So they were like, oh, good. Now they're interested in the case. Yeah. So Larry told Lieutenant Mitchell that in the trunk of his car, he had a large piece of cardboard that he and some other men found near the site where the body, where the boys had died. It was big enough that it could have been used to drag two bodies and there was a stain on it that could be blood. Huh. That's really upsetting that they had it, though. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But damn it. Ugh. Yeah. Somebody just stand there and wait. <laughs> Go get the police and bring it back. God, that's... Oh. Just wait. So they wanted this piece of cardboard analyzed. Uh, yeah, and definitely. And knew that the sheriff's office, like, sal- was in the, the Saline County, well, they also didn't have the resources to do anything like well, that. So but um, they were bringing they it... They could have taken it as evidence and sent it off to be analyzed. I get it. Calm down. <laughs> I don't want to. No, just calm yourself because you're going to get more pissed. So you got... You have to, like, ration your pissed because it's just going to get worse. I don't like this. You, you're you not. So they knew that the resources weren't available for the Saline County Sheriff's uh, Department. So they were bringing it to Dr. Malik to get it analyzed. Mm-hmm. Also, another thing that they brought is Curtis found pieces of what looked like a gun that he and some of his friends found in the same vicinity. So people were still finding evidence or something that could have been evidence weeks after the boys' deaths. Because four hours is is not not enough long enough to process a crime scene involving a a fucking train. Anyway, so they went into the building to discuss the autopsies because now Dr. Malik is saying that he has like results and is going to discuss it with the families, I guess. So they went into the building to discuss autopsies because just a few days prior, um, Elmendorf and talent had told Curtis that Dr. Malik was leaning towards suicide. So they were already pretty upset about that. So they were like answers. Damn it. So they walk, they go in, they get to wherever they need to be. So Dr. Malik comes into the room and one of the first things that he wanted to do was take everyone's picture. What? He shot the parents, everyone in the room, including police. So he shot what? Polaroid pictures of everyone in the room and then handed them forms to sign to acknowledge their attendance at the meeting. I'll mention that in just a second. Fucking weird, right? What? Yeah. So they sit down. Fucking weird. He's the medical examiner, right? Yeah. Makes no sense, doesn't it? And it continues to make no sense. What the fuck does he need pictures of everybody in the the police officers, too? Uh-huh. 
I'll mention I'll mention it again in a moment. What? So they sit down. Dr. Malik puts two envelopes on the table and says that these are two accidental deaths due to THC intoxication. Excuse me? Just wait. Just wait. So he handed out the official ruling on on paper, which stated, quote, at 425 a.m. on August 23rd, 1987, Larry Kevin Ives, 17, and Don George Henry, 16, were unconscious and in a deep sleep on the railroad tracks under the psychedelic influence of THC marijuana in parentheses when a train passed over them, causing their accidental death. He said that the level of marijuana was very, very high. When the parents asked how high, how high were these levels? Because all four of the parents, the one person that had any sort of like medical training was Marvell, Don's stepmother. She was a nurse. And even she was like, what? Excuse me? Right. So the other three, Curtis, Linda, and Larry were like, what? We like... Not aware. They knew nothing about marijuana. Right. And, but even Marvel was like, um, pardon? So they were like, how high? How high were these THC levels? Yeah. So, because they'd have to be pretty fucking high no. for them to be in such a deep no. sleep. No. As in, not no. even something that somebody could smoke by themselves. No. No. I'm going to keep going. We're going to talk in a second. So he, there was a blackboard in this room. So he took a piece of chalk and on this blackboard. So he is trying. So he's already being like, I know more than you. So yeah. So he takes this piece of chalk and draws on this blackboard. Some graph, if you can call it that. Okay. Where he put like at one end, he put like a five. And then the other point, he put like a hundred and he's like, So this five is like a normal level of high. And he like pointed like to the hundred and he was like, this is where your boys were. This is how high they were. And like literally quoted, quote, this is how stoned they were, unquote. No. Just wait. Just wait. I'm going to get through this and then we're going to discuss. I want to start throwing things. Oh, no. I. Me too. So the parents tried their best to get a more concrete answer from him, but he was like, no help. So, again, like I said, Marvell was a nurse and didn't understand what the fuck he was saying. They asked, like, they even asked, I didn't write this in my notes, but they asked, like, how that was measured. And he literally just said units. A medical examiner. But I'm going to keep going. So they asked him, how many, of course, this is the 80s, -hmm. how many marijuana cigarettes would they have to have smoked to be comatose, basically? Yeah. And when they kept pressing, he got, he kept giving them like answers, but not answers. (sighs) They, they kept pressing him because he wasn't giving them any kind of straight answer. And because he would like go off on a tangent, but not answer their question at all. So oh, that pisses me off. He got like pissy and fed up. And then he goes, you want to know? Here are the autopsy photos and grabs the envelope on the table and like starts to pull out like pictures 
supposedly. And the family was like, no, 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 don't show us that. But it's like, what okay, the fuck does the pictures what kind have to of, do? What kind of proof are you going to get from pictures of their now deceased children when they're asking for levels THC of THC levels? levels what right? the? Oh. No, nope, I know. So the more they pressed, the more he would threaten to show them pictures until um, Elmendorf stood up and was like, they don't want to see these fucking pictures and then took the envelope from him. I would have been arrested that day. Oh, I would have too. Because I would have laid out that fucking doctor. Yeah. So when when the officer, he sat back down, he like apparently looked at Linda and he was like, it's 20, 20 marijuana cigarettes. Dr. Malik told me. So they were like, what? How hard was that? What is happening? First of all, how hard was that? How hard was that to say it would have been 20 cigarettes, regardless of whether it was true or not? How hard was it to say that? First of all. There's a, no, there's there's a method. There's a method for his madness. There is. Give me a second. So when the parents asked him other questions about the weird circumstances, all he would say was, I've seen stranger things in my career. And then go into like a lengthy discuss- discussion that helped literally no one. So the cardboard that the Ives brought uh-huh. and then the gun uh-huh. that the uh, Henrys brought. Mm-hmm which were probably crucial evidence to the investigators. So months later, when they called and inquired about these items, they found that the cardboard had never been examined and the pieces of gun had disappeared completely. Oh, my gosh. So we're going to marinate in this for just a second. So as someone who has partook in the devil's lettuce more times than I can count. Partooken. Partooken. As someone who has partooken in devil's lettuce, I have never been so high that I pass out comatose on train tracks. No. Because that doesn't fucking happen. I don't care how high somebody is on simply stupid marijuana that they are so passed out that they do not hear a fucking train horn. Two feet from them. To, to like, not and to stir. to not stir. To not that, stir That was all. what I was trying to get at. To and not, not stir. not stir whatsoever. Right. Because... To not jump. Because that doesn't happen. No. Because here's the thing. I smoke marijuana when I have my endometriosis pain. It helps me. Whatever. That's not what this is about. But I have never been in a state... I've been too high... But I'm not to the point where I'm like, it's just to where you I've, don't wake up. I've ne- No, I've been to the point where I'm like, God, I'm really tired. All I want to do is sleep. But I've never like passed out anywhere like outside. No, there's it's no, it's literally unheard of. No, because it doesn't fucking happen. Absolutely. Fucking lutely not. Yeah. And like, and also like these parents, they also had to deal with like, these were good boys. And since marijuana, especially in the eighties was still very much like a, Oh, right. What? Like, so now these parents have to deal with the fact that their boys have been smoking weed. And later when this, when more of this comes out, like Linda had Kevin's friends coming up to her going like, 
no yeah miss ives we all smoke a little dope but because they're teenagers in the 80s right regardless they're teenagers in whatever decade they're gonna smoke some weed right and guess what that's all right it's fine it it doesn't mean marijuana does not cause this no no none of this no no so let's talk about dr malik for one second i'm not gonna go into his background very much because i it, it it will no because i don't fucking want to so at that point in 1987 he had been the emmy for nine years medical examiner so i'm not i'm not going to go into his background because i don't fucking want to but he had been appointed when bill clinton was governor of arkansas oh i, I forgot that was a thing <laughs> we were we weren't alive then. we weren't <laughs> So he had a reputation of, like, fending off accusations of being, like, incompetent, because obviously he fucking was. Um, Obviously. So he had only been working at the state crime lab a year when he was promoted to the position of chief medical examiner. Oh, wow. That's quick. Yeah. Suspiciously quick, you might think. So his entire career as the medical examiner was filled with controversy Turnover was very high in his office. And the thing about the photographing the family and and the officers. Yeah. That was a normal thing for him to do. Anyone who came in or out of his office had their picture taken by him. For what reason? So the people that like the book goes into it a little bit farther of like things that he was accused of and that sort of thing. But one of the things that meant that mentions about the taking pictures of people was he would blame like his high turnover rate like like oh funds and you know people blah 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 blah, whatever but people that who had worked for him said that he was like like really really paranoid so who knows what's going on in that head but This ruling kind of, like, tipped him over the controversial cliff. While everyone knew this was bullshit, Mm -hmm. um, he stuck to his ruling and the Saline County Sheriff's Office was satisfied. They were like, yeah, we're satisfied with this ruling. That's because they wanted to see weed as this horrible, horrible thing and kids don't smoke weed. Otherwise, you'll end up on a train track. Probably, yeah. Absolutely not. So that is ridiculous and uh, an unnecessary and ridiculous stain on those boys' memory. Right. Yeah. So word travels fast in a small town. Of course it does. And Linda heard that the EMTs had a different opinion. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So through a friend of hers, like at the hospital, um, she arranged a meeting with billy heath one of the paramedics Mm -hmm. on scene when they got to the hospital to talk to billy they went into the emt's office and billy was sitting there with three saline county deputies huh so billy said that he changed his mind and he decided that he didn't want to talk but with some gentle coaxing from linda Mm -hmm. uh she convinced him to go to a nearby office to talk. So she was like, are they threatening you? And he was like, no, ma'am, they're not. And I was like, 
Okay. Okay. Don't want to accuse anyone of anything, but okay. Yeah. Well, and, and to be honest, it is not unusual for officers to be in a EMS office or an ambulance garage or whatever. I'll get to that. It, it's not simply because of we know. I'll get to that. All of that. However, in this situation. In light of this situation, but I'll get to that. So Linda was like, can you talk to me about this? And he was like, I don't want to talk about it. He was like, get my report and read it. I spent five hours writing that report out. That seems valid. Right. Like spending five hours on a writing a report for this type of scene. Absolutely. Spending four hours on the scene. Absolutely not. No, no. Seems a little. Yeah. Hmm. Let's. Yeah. hmm. So. About the cops being there. Mm-hmm. So her, the friend of hers, I think she was like possibly a nurse or something. Mm-hmm. She like checked in with other nurses. There were no car accidents. There was no arresting. No nothing. Nothing that would require the police to be at the vicinity at that time. Ne- I just need to mention that. Right. And Linda did say that Billy was like visibly shaken. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. So... Again, devil's advocate, it isn't unusual for officers to be in an ambulance it's garage not. or vice versa. It's simply not. because you always work closely together. You could stop in for coffee, have a chat until one of your radios goes off. Right. It just in this situation seems a little fishy. It does. So the case was closed according to the police. That's so aggravating. So the parents hired a private investigator. Good. Just kind of grasping at straws because they're like, this is strange. There's, I mean, even if, if it would have been like an obvious accident, that's still something very traumatic that the parents would need to deal with. Yeah. But there's a lot of uncertainty and just a lot of weirdness about this entire thing. Yeah. So they were like, they were like, we want, we want answers. Yeah. And the police aren't giving us any. And we know that there are, there's more to this than they have told us. Because honestly, if it were me, even the officer saying that, I would still be like, that's, I don't think that's right. That's aggravating. But then once you hear the medical examiner and what the, all the bullshit that he said, that is when I would have been like, enough's I, enough. I would have been arrested. Oh, I absolutely would yeah. have been arrested because I would have laid him out. I would have, I would not have let him go around and around and around. I literally would have come out and said, give me a fucking number. Right. Of his levels of THC. Right. Give me a number. If you can't fucking give me a number, you need out of a job. Right. So... They hire a private investigator because now it's the four of them against the state of Arkansas, basically. Yeah, yeah like, it is. Every single time they try and like do something. So they're like, OK, we're going to try this route. So the PI suggested right away to get a court order to get any and all records from that night. Yeah. So the parents do so. They get yes. a court order. When the investigator presented the court order at the hospital, the clerk told him that no EMT reports existed from the night of the railroad tracks. 
She excused me. She explained that no patient care had been rendered, so no report had been written. There's always a report. There's always a report. There is always a report. Even if you get a patient refusal, even if you get a body that you're not transporting because it's already deceased, there is always Always a a report. If that ambulance leaves the garage, there's a fucking report. Yes. And if (laughs) there's not, there's something wrong. Uh Uh-huh. So, keep that in mind. But the, uh, the family kept pressing the matter. And finally, in October of 1987... Especially when the EMT specifically told you point blank, get my report. Uh-huh. Yep. So, in October of 1987, two months now after the deaths, the hospital produced one report written by Shirley Raper, the mm-hmm. other EMT on the scene. Mm-hmm. Billy's was nowhere to be found. Naturally. And they insisted that it was the only report that had ever been written. Even though you previously said that there was no report from the EMTs. Right. Okay. Right. Now you all of a sudden have a report. Right. Wow. It's really amazing how that happens. Right. Curious. And I, I really apologize. I really hope I'm pronouncing Shirley's last name correctly. Um, It sounds weird, but I, I'm really sorry. Um, But... Her report, while being kind of short, the concerns about the color of the blood were written in her report. Oh, well, that's good, at least. Yeah, questioning how long the boys had actually been dead. Okay. So they had that, at least. At the very least, they had that. Right. So when they confronted the police about the green tarp, um, the police were like, no. I mean, if there was a tarp... There would have been microscopic fibers in their clothes, in their bodies, and we didn't find anything like that. Mm. And they continued saying that the tarp was an optical illusion. Ooh. And this this pissed off Larry, too, because he's like, I am also an engineer. Like, this is what I do for my job, and you're going to tell me that these three men who are my colleagues, who I know are intelligent and professional, and you're going to tell me that they saw an optical, all three of them saw an optical, why the fuck would there be a gre- an optical illusion of a green tarp? That they all, all three saw? saw? Yeah. No. Yeah. So, reaching a brick wall, the parents decided to seek a second pathologist's opinion. Good. And went to a Dr. J.T. Francisco a forensic pathologist in Memphis, Tennessee, who made it a point to mention right away that he was $200 per hour. Okay. At this point, the boys had been dead a little over three weeks. Right. So one of the things that he had said that he needed was that he said he needed blood samples and urine samples from the boys to analyze. Well, how... Were they going to get urine samples? It was a train accident. Well, here's the thing. They were able to get urine samples from Kevin because, like, his kidneys were still viable. But Don's, there was basically, like, nothing left of his. he was first, right? He was I don't, closest? I don't know in which order. Okay. I'm not sure. But okay. there was but nothing. But still, that's, that was my point. Like, how? They, they got it from the kidneys. My question still stands. How are they going to be able to get urine samples from them? I don't know, man. I am not a pathologist. Nor am I a doctor. 
Yeah. I don't even know where which side the appendix is on half the time. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway. So that was one of the things that the doctor had requested that he get. Okay. Fine and dandy. So then, um, after several more weeks, this doctor had called with on conference call, like results, said that he had tested Kevin's urine Mm -hmm. and he came to the same ruling that Dr. Malik came to. So the parents were like, wait a second. So you're telling me that you tested Kevin's urine and that's how you came to this conclusion? So they were like, did you test the blood? Right. They were like, first of all, you didn't even have Don's urine to test. Did you test the blood? And he, like, they pressed him, they pressed him, they pressed him. He eventually admitted, no, he did not test the blood. And he said that, um, well, the Arkansas um, State Crime Lab is really good about these things, blah, 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 blah. They would have done everything correctly. So then the family was like... That's not what we're asking. So then the family was like, did you speak with Dr. Malik prior to doing everything? And he admitted that he had. Oh, son of a bitch. So they were like, fuck you. Uh-huh. And they never received a bill from Dr. Francisco. Because they were like, they called him out. So then he was uh-huh. like, tail between his legs. So uh-huh. during this time, people were calling the parents' houses with like unsolicited like tips of like, hey, I saw a guy in camo that morning in the woods by the area. Calling their houses. Okay. Calling their fucking houses. Okay. So I'm going to try my hardest to think of what those people were thinking. They may mean well when they're doing that. Maybe, but fucking don't. They may mean well. Trying to tell these, trying to help these parents out best they can. Never do that. No. That is just pouring salt into their wounds. Yep. That is ridiculous. Also, like, I understand that maybe you're not believing in the police right now, but that's where you take those concerns. Right. Normally. Call the police. And you know what? I mean, in this situation, I probably would have been more like, maybe I should just tell their parents. I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Or at the very least, call the police. Tell them everything you saw, what you think, whatever. And if they seem dismissive or whatever, then maybe drop them a line and be like, hey, I just wanted to give you a heads up. I brought this to the police. And this is what they said. Here you go. Not just be like, hey, BTW. Yeah. This is what I saw. Uh-huh. Thanks. Have a good day. Yep. Ugh. Yep. It kind of kind of comparing that to something that's like really simple and like like after you go through a breakup mm-hmm. and you like say you, you date someone named like Dave. Like I saw Dave with a couple girls. The person that Dave broke up with doesn't want to hear that. No. Mm -mm. That's putting it in in simple, simple terms Mm -hmm. of like, okay, you've been through a breakup and then you have like those assholes that like, I saw this person. Because that still happens to people. Exactly. All the time. Happens to people all the time. Like that, this is like an extreme version of that. Yeah. Where you're like, 
Don't fucking do that. Mm -mm. Don't do that. Mm -mm. So anyway. So with the start of 1988 into the new year, the parents kept trying to find a pathologist um, who did work with marijuana that wouldn't just be like, I don't know, units, that sort of thing. (laughs) Right. To get another opinion. Because they're like clearly like reaching out to other states because clearly... They were, they reached a dead end in Arkansas. Yeah. Mm hmm. So they asked for samples of blood and urine from the Arkansas Crime Lab, or at least what they could offer Mm -hmm. as far as urine goes, because we know that we don't have Don's urine anymore. Right. Um, And Dr. Malik told them that he wouldn't give them anything without a court order. Mm -hmm. So they got one. Mm hmm. And when the PI presented the court order to Malik, Mm hmm. He refused to honor it, saying that he wouldn't give them the samples, which I didn't think you could do. Uh, not if you have a court order. So Linda called the state attorney general's office and he told her that he couldn't force this doctor to comply, though he would strongly urge him to do so. But either way, it it would have to be like taken to court, essentially, is what Linda was told. What in the hell? I I was like, um, I was unaware. I thought when you got, like, a court order to do something, it was like, do it now, bitch. Yeah. I was like, how can you refuse a court order? How do you refuse to honor a court order? I'm confused. That makes zero sense to me. <sighs> yeah. Also, I'm seeing it as that is their son's blood and urine. That should belong to them at the very least. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> mm-hmm. Their deceased son's blood. Right. So the families, like, they're they're like, okay, this is from now on always going to be an uphill battle. But they were like, they were willing. They were like, let's fucking do this. Good. Fight so, it until they can't anymore. While the police and the government officials said the case was closed, the public and the media were still very fascinated and also thought this whole thing was very strange. So it is. Linda suggested that they hold a press conference, mm. use the media to their advantage. Yeah. So on February 8th, 1988, five months after the deaths, the four parents all gathered to hold a press conference and they, they were in front of t- in ton of reporters that sort of thing i've been trying to find this footage if anywhere and i'm still going to try so they aired out all the bullshit that had been going on they called out dr malik specifically and was like good he will not give us we got a court order he will still not give us blood and urine samples Blah, blah 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 so it worked the Good. day after the press conference, several reporters followed Larry Curtis and their PI to the crime lab with the court order. And wouldn't you fucking believe it? Dr. Malik cooperated. And he was like <laughs> the definition of cooperation. <laughs> and he was Fuck like, him. right. And he was like, of course, I'll give you the samples. Woo-hoo. But he assured them that a new investigation wouldn't turn up different results. Oh, amazing. He went on even more, but it pissed me off, so I'm not even going to include it. Yeah, because fuck it's, him. It's not worth it. So once the reporters left, you know, they're all like jotting shit down. Mm-hmm. So Malik invited Larry and Curtis into his office. 
So in the office, he opened up a jar and then like the formaldehyde smell just kind of like spilled out, had something in it. And he touched whatever it was with like a pencil and told Curtis, that's a part of your son's heart. What is the point of that? Like with the autopsy pictures, this is his way to intimidate the parents to be like, you're stepping in a, in a territory that I don't want you stepping in. So I'm going to use some sort of fucked up scare tactic to get you away from this topic. Oh, I that's what again, he was doing. I again would have been arrested. But these men handled it beautifully because Curtis, there was another jar in his office. I'm like, why? Why do you have jars of of shit just in your office? I don't get it. But Curtis pointed at another jar in his office and was like, and what is that? (laughs) (laughs) So Dr. Mallet got mad and just sealed the jar back up, which was probably nothing, by the way. (sighs) Um, So, like I said, this was... The audacity of this man! This was how he was threatening these families. Like, this is like, hey, shut up. Like, that's how he was doing it. It's fucked up. It is fucked up. But, I mean, it had some effect the first time he did it. But this time, like, the fathers were like, no. Oh, Mm -hmm. he is a better man than I am. And he is. He really is. He is a better man than I I am. I would not have, like, so calmly. Well, and that's another thing is that the doctor was expecting him to, like, get mad, fly off the handle, Uh maybe say something. Uh But very calmly just pointed at another jar. And what is that? Like, just calm. That's amazing. It really is. I love is. that, and I love this man. It That's really, amazing. really did. Because I would have... I would have lost my shit. Lost my mind. Right. The first time I met him, I would have lost my Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I would so, have... It would have already been gone, so it would have been worse the second time. Right. So, there was a little bit more discussion, and, Mal- and the meeting ended by Dr. Malik saying that... They were just going to be, they're like, he was like, you're not going to get any sort of different answer than mine. And he's like, you're going to be spending a ton of money hiring quacks. And Curtis Henry replied by saying, don't worry, we've already heard the quacks opinion. (laughs) Which makes me really happy. I seriously love this man. Yes. Uh, That's amazing. Because I probably, if he had just, if, if that was all he said to me. Without the whole jar thing, mm-hmm. I would have been like, okay. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, fine. Great. But I'm still going to do it. Right. Let me waste my money. Right. Because he went into like something else and he was like, he was like, I understand. He was like, I have a son. I understand. Oh, fuck like, you. And he was like, said something along the lines of like, if this happened to my son, like he was the one that was like, I probably would have had him exhumed to, you know, da 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 da. He was like, but I sh- assure you, you're not going to get any other, any other ruling than mine. Kiss that sort of my thing. Ass. He was the one that was like, I would exhume. I'm like, you know what? That's a great fucking idea, dude. Fantastic. Like, thank idea. you so much. Let me get that court order. Right. Please. Right. And I really hate to do this, but that's where I'm going to end part one. <gasps> Excuse me while I just vomit all over your stuff because I'm so pissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I I hadn't even heard of this case. I haven't either. I just kind of came across it and I'm like, wow. Oh my Holy gosh. shit. And 
this book again i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you the book it is called the boys on the tracks death denial and a mother's crusade to bring her son's killers to justice by mara leverett it has been fascinating thus far i'm not even finished with it but i'm like there's there's too there was too much that i just i had to put in Mm, go read it she goes into a little bit more detail to get like like the real juicy details she puts in um she goes into detail a little bit more detail about dr malik um that son of a bitch right so um so yeah i just go read the book um show her some support it there's there's some other books burks yeah there's some other books about this as well um that you should definitely check out but this it's wild it because it's it kind of turns into this like tinfoil hat controversy, mm. honestly. And it, and those it, those poor families. And it does it so, and it kind of becomes that so quickly, honestly. Yeah. Like, because it's like, from well, look at all the shit that's already from happened. The We're moment, only five months in. Exactly. From the moment that the crime scene is set up, things just start not adding up, like from the very beginning. And, like I said, this is unsolved, so I don't have any good answers for you at the end. So we can only imagine what the second part's going right. to hold, since we've already talked about this bullshit, right. and we're not even going to get an answer at the end. Yeah. And we're just going to keep speeding down and then just come to nothing. So apologies poor about what to expect for the second part. But yeah, these, these four parents just having no answers and then every time that they try and get an answer they are met with a brick wall with every person that they meet but i'm going to start next episode with the opinions of two toxicologists and that's when we start to get the ball rolling a little bit good yes and they're going to be kind of funny too a couple couple quacks yeah according to for sure dr Uh malik yeah so yeah fuck him just Mm -hmm. fuck him yeah (sighs) this is the kind of thing where i'm like i hope he stubs his toe every fucking day for the rest of his life snakes in your toilet sir yeah Mm -hmm. may they jump up and bite your taint Mm -hmm. every time you use it yeah that's what i wish Yes. So. Not even poisonous ones. No. No, of course not. No, no, no. No, I just want you to have an abscess on your taint. Right. Always. Yes. Yep. Maybe a hemorrhoid a time or two. So, on a happier note, we have to shout out a Patreon person. (laughs) Patron? Uh, Uh, Yes. Either way. (laughs) So, we have to shout out a Miss Devin Smith. Yay, Yay, Devin! Devin. We Thank love you. Devin. Yes, we do love Devin <laughs> so much. So, um, thank you to Devin, our new patron. Patreon? Petra? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. Part of the piggy party. Yeah. So, um, I yeah, that's that's where I'm. That's where I gotta leave you. <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Devin. So thank you, we Devin. appreciate you. And if you would like to keep in contact with us, you can follow us on Facebook. 2K away. And on Instagram. 
to KOA Podcast. And we have a Gmail if you would like to suggest something or simply say hello. Or tell us how pissed you are at the beginning of this yes. case. 2kawaypodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And we have our Patreon. It is. If you would like to join Devin in the pity, pity party. Pity party. <laughs> pity I like party. that too. <laughs> <laughs> it is patreon.com forward slash 2kawaypodcast. Yes. And with every tier, you get bonus episodes. You get occasional bloopers and merch which is really nice exclusive merch because yes. we still have t-shirts for sale through us if you want to get something you can message us on any of our social platforms or or gmail but um if you join patreon you get exclusive merch absolutely that nobody else can get and i got to see a little i got to see some merch actually because uh, kim who's been on the podcast she's part of our patreon group uh-huh. and she got her t-shirt <laughs> You didn't fucking tell me. I forgot. You son of a bitch. (laughs) I I forgot. (laughs) It was just. Oh, it was like two days ago now. You bastard. My bad. (laughs) I forgot. I genuinely forgot. Now I'm really going to toss this table. (laughs) Now I'm really pissed. No, no, no. I forgot though. But they're really nice. (laughs) The t-shirts are, like, kind of soft, too. Oh, good. Yeah, and it has, like, it's actually, like, that high quality, like. Like our t-shirt? Is it, like, like yeah. Like okay, that good. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah the so good it's, t-shirts, not it's, the. Yeah, it's, they're nice. Shitty ones. Right, not, like, the, the really, like, rough t-shirt. Yeah, that's it, kind of stiff. Right, it's, like, a soft t-shirt. Like, they're they're really nice. So, um, our first round of patrons got their merch now so oh, I'm so excited <laughs> so if you want to get that merch you can go to patreon.com forward slash 2k way podcast <laughs> so um thank you everybody for joining us and stay tuned for part two apologies that this is going to be a two-parter but there's just there's a lot to unpack here and it it it's so in-depth that i felt it necessary to add in these details well and plus with my ranting and raving too right and not and not to mention i i really i bullshit right i wanted to really just drive in the fact that these families have had to deal with so much bullshit from the very beginning of when this all started as soon as the boys died these families have had nothing but issues with everything yeah like any just trying to get any sort of answers they have reached problem after problem after problem and not even really having time to grieve no no because like it like the book also goes into like further detail about like them adjusting to life as they know it now yeah and like the the troubles that they we're dealing with and everything and it's it's very sad but people need to know about it absolutely you know like and i I hate like our podcast is one where you go into we go into a little bit like private family issues into that sort of thing but it's like they're not the only families that have had this sort of thing happen to them other families have had to deal with this too yeah and it's it's not uncommon to have something so tragic happen to where you have trouble grieving. You don't even know how to grieve. So because you can't. Right. You know, <laughs> because of all the other bullshit that's happening. Right. You know, so it's just it's one of those things where it's like <sighs> awful. Right. 
it, it it's all bad all of it so thank you everybody for joining us and stay tuned for part two um apologies that i left it where it was but we're gonna really get the ball rolling next week so i fucking hope so yeah so stay tuned for next week and we will see you in the next one bye bye bye